Welcome back, Browns fans, to Joe Thomas's Film Room. I'm your host, Andrew Gribble. On this week's episode, Joe and I break down one of the most feared pass rushers in his heyday, the great James Harrison. Harrison, out of Kent State University, is the only undrafted player to be named Associated Press NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He's also won two Super Bowls and kept numerous QBs and offensive linemen up the night before he played them. We hope you enjoy Joe's breakdown of James Harrison. All right, Joe, this is where it all began for you, the first game of your long career, the first beginning of, of your very long snap streak, and you're going up against James Harrison. Just kind of take me back in time to, to what you're thinking going into this contest and maybe how much you studied up on, on James going into this. It's interesting reflecting back on this game because going into this game, I was a rookie, obviously never had any NFL game film out there. James Harrison was kind of right at the beginning of his long and storied potential Hall of Fame career. Even though he'd been in the league a while, he kind of bounced around early on. He started with like Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Cleveland. He's gotten cut a bunch of times. And he finally finds a spot where he can play in Pittsburgh. And so going into this game, before we got the scouting report, I honestly didn't even know who he was until uh, Coach Romeo Cornell at the time started beating it into our heads all week that James Harrison's coming. He's going to try to run you over. He's a big speed to power guy. And I'll never forget sitting in the meeting room on uh, Monday morning getting ready for this game. Um, it was early on in my career, obviously before my first game, and Romeo Cornell would stand up in the front and he would quiz guys on who your opponent is because he wanted to see who'd been studying at that point. And I'm a rookie, so I don't really know that I'm supposed to study like my opponent weeks <laughs> in advance. I was just going to wait until Tuesday or Wednesday of the, the week of and start um, doing my film breakdown and stuff. And so he was asking me all these questions about James Harrison, like, what school did he go to? How big is he? What's his favorite pass rush move? And I didn't have any of the answers. Uh, but uh, thankfully, it was easy enough where somebody started giving me the answers, like, he's just a bull rush guy. He's a bull rush guy. But uh, Romeo did a great job that week of like really trying to get me prepared by basically humiliating me publicly in front of my peers that I better be watching this guy, I better study this guy, I better know him inside and out, I better know uh, what his kids' names are, what school he went to, what's his favorite move, what's his pregame meal. And that was really a welcome to the NFL moment about how much you really have to start studying these guys and how you have to start studying them weeks, if not months in advance, because just starting to watch them on Tuesday or Wednesday before you play them is not enough film study because you have to know these guys inside and out. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned about James Harrison. He bounced around the league, really an unheralded guy, uh, undersized maybe a little bit, but what is it about his kind of stature that makes him tough as a left tackle stop? The reason he didn't really find a spot right away is because when you look at him and what he does versus a prototypical outside linebacker, he doesn't fit into any of those boxes that you normally are looking for. He's barely six feet tall. I think yeah. he's probably closer to 5'10 than he is six feet. He's 245, 250 pounds. Now, he's just a ball of muscle. His, his nickname in Pittsburgh was Silverback because he's just like a little gorilla. Um, but he's not fast. He's not like a 4'5 guy. He's not like a guy that's going to jump through the jump out of the gym, jump through the roof. So he doesn't have any of those physical characteristics that you'd normally look for. Big, strong, fast, quick, explosive. 
But what he did have was this incredible leverage and power and ability to use his small stature to get up under bigger tackles pads. Because at this point in the NFL, all teams were looking for big, tall offensive linemen to handle the Michael Strahan's, the Reggie White's, those big physical defensive ends that a lot of 4-3 teams were putting out there. <clears throat> and then here comes James Harrison, this five foot 10, 245 pound guy that's not very fast, but is really tough, is really strong and can get up underneath the pads of these really tall guys. And so he used that to his advantage his entire career, basically making a career on his bull rush and then his dip and rip upfield, which we saw him get so many sack fumbles, strip sacks throughout his NFL career. Does anything at Wisconsin, I know you're obviously very good there, does anything in college prepare you for a moment like this? It's not even close. Uh, I remember my senior year in college, I played... I think two players that ended up going to the NFL during my entire 13 <laughs> games in college. And so the only two games I had Lamar Woodley against Michigan. Um, and then there was a player from Bowling Green. I actually played early on in my career who, who played a little bit um, uh, in the NFL. And other than those two guys, I don't think I had one NFL talent that I went against in college. And that's just the way college is. Like there's not that many guys in college who end up going on and transitioning to the NFL. So um, you just really don't get a sense at all for how big, fast, strong, physical, well-prepared, technically sound these guys are that you're going to see in the NFL. And this was before he maybe did more damage to some Browns quarterbacks in the future, <laughs> but do you know right away when you're out there that this guy's got a nasty streak to him? It's hard to tell early on in, in this game and in my career because when, when you're a rookie, you have so many things going on in your head that you're just swimming and trying to remember the play and trying to remember the adjustments and trying to remember your technique and your footwork. Uh, that You have so many things that, that go on that you're not aware of all the, the defensive adjustments and all the schemes and like the individual talent that you see around you. And so it really wasn't until later in this season and even the next year where I was really able to go out and play a game and have a good awareness of like all the, the guys I was going against and exactly what they were doing and the, the game inside of the game. It took a couple of years before I was really playing that. Yeah, let's kind of roll the, the film here on this on this play, and it just seemed this is a quick pass that helps you out yep, right there. The, you're not going to be in too much bad shape. But what are you doing on this kind of play to make, basically eliminate him having any chance of affecting it? So this being one of the first plays of the game, um, a lot of times offensive coordinators they'll want to get an easy completion. They'll call it. They they want to get the chains moving, get the offense in a little bit of a rhythm, put you into second and five potentially. Give the quarterback and the receiver a chance to build a little bit of confidence early on so they can complete a pass. So this play, uh, coincidentally enough, you've got Kellen split out. So it's 21 personnel, so two backs and a tight end and two receivers. But you split out Kellen, and then you take your fullback, and you uh, motion him out so he's outside of the tackle box. And then you're just going to throw a really easy sideline play here to Vickers and let him pick up the first down. Um, for me, it was great because I'm able to just take uh, a quick pass set, and then right when James Harrison thinks it's a drop back pass, I'm able to be aggressive and go run block him. And so it gives you an opportunity to throw the, throw the ball without just setting back and letting the defensive end tee off on you. Now, when he go back to that, that clip there where he, at the end, tries to make that spin move mm -hmm. in, into the pocket, and it doesn't matter if the ball's already out by then, does that clue you into maybe what he's going to do later in the game in situations where you're going to need to hold your block a little longer? Yeah, so every play that you go and you perform 
is like one thing that's going into the computer in your brain. Like, all right, so this is how you reacted when I took this set and we did this play and the quarterback dropped to three yards. And when I, when I did that three-step short set on him, I jump set him. Now he was going to try to spin back inside late because he saw the depth of the quarterback. He knew that running around me wasn't going to um, get him to the quarterback. So now next time I got to start thinking when I'm about right there, all of a sudden in my head, I, I need to start thinking, okay, he's about to spin back so that when it happens, you're able to react a split second quicker and then your feet are in better position and he's not going to be able to get off you. Looking at you now, looking at you then, you're clearly much bigger <laughs> in, this, in, in this film. I mean, is he a matchup problem more for smaller offensive tackles or what, where does he present the most problems matchup wise? Yeah, so the guys that always struggled the most with James were really tall guys that didn't bend well. Yeah. And I remember playing a game against some of the better big tall tackles in the NFL and they would struggle against him because they had a hard time bending their knees and their hips and their ankles to get down to his level because he was able to do this rip up the field where he would get his body so low that he could get under your pads and actually lift you up because of how strong he was. Um, so the guys that always seemed to handle James pretty well were the guys that could handle his bull rush, but then also guys that were flexible enough to bend down and be on his level. So this play is a good one to look at because it gives you a good idea of what James Harrison really made his living on right here. Um, for us, this play is just a three-step drop. It's a quick protection. So all, you can see all the linemen kind of taking more aggressive pass protection, trying to build a wall in front of the quarterback that's firm, that allows him to have his feet clean so he can drop back three steps, put his foot in the ground and throw it. And if anything, the offensive line is going to let their guys rush up the field, up and away from the quarterback. And you can see right here, though, James is going to do his dip and he's going to rip. And right here towards the top, he's going to try to get that left arm up underneath and behind your shoulder pads so that he can actually almost use your body to pull himself through and then he's going to use his leverage which uh, is a nice way to say his shortness his short of statureness <laughs> to turn that corner and to be able to come back downhill onto the quarterback so you can see here if once again the quarterback hangs onto the ball much longer he's going to have James Harrison hitting him in the back of the helmet, which I imagine probably is not going to feel very good because James is a little bit strong and a little bit tough and uh, a little bit nasty, and that's not going to feel good hitting you in the back of the head. But this is what James made his living on for 12-plus years in the NFL where he would just dip and rip up the field, especially when it was a drop-back pass. He was able to turn that corner, come downhill, and it's something that we see Miles Garrett doing a lot. Miles is really good. He's one of those guys that can really get low, get up underneath an offensive lineman's pads and work up the field with that really low rip move. Now, now go back to where you guys were. You guys are at the shadow of your own goalpost yep. there on the five yard line. He gets you into the end zone. Maybe you're not seeing where the quarterback is at that time. You have the chance of a potential safety or a potential holding in the end zone, which is mm -hmm. two points for the other team. How does that change your approach when, when you're blocking a guy and knowing that, mm -hmm. that you're in some real trouble? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the most important thing for an offensive lineman is to know where the quarterback is supposed to be. That's why there's so much trust that has to take place between the quarterback and his offensive line. Because if this play is a three-step drop, I know that the quarterback is going to be roughly four and a half to five yards from where the ball is snapped. Now, if that quarterback's at seven yards, I'm blocking for four and a half or five. 
And I'm going to think that I'm doing a great job. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to as I push my man past the quarterback. But all of a sudden, he's standing at seven yards where he's not supposed to be. So your guy blasts right into the quarterback. And the 20 million people at home and those people in Japan that are watching are going to think that jerk left tackle gave up another bad play. Well, really, what they don't know is the quarterback was in the wrong spot. And as an, as an offensive lineman, I don't have eyes in the back of my head. So all I can do is trust that the quarterback's in the right spot, block for that spot. And if he's not there, it's on him. And then it's up to the coaches to be able to make sure that they get him right. Is there any helpless feeling there where you're chasing him a little bit there? You know, early on in my career, I, I used to get that feeling like, oh, man, you better get rid of the ball. But then later in my career, I started thinking, you know, it's his fault. And I don't care if the people <laughs> at home think I'm the one that screwed up. He's the one that's responsible for this. He's the one that's going to be held accountable. And it's up to him to get it right. So if he gets hit and he's in the wrong spot, it's his own fault. And, and just one last question about that, because that play is really, it illustrates a lot. Uh, you're, are you on the borderline there of holding or a potential block in the back with when he's getting around? Yeah, the so typically from a, a referee standpoint, they're not going to call a block in the back because you can see... Right here, it's a little bit tough because this is not HD like we have now, but I've got my left hand kind of on his shoulder pad area. And because he's turned his body, he's given me his back. So that's all I can block. So it'd be like if, if, if I was on like Punt Pro or something and a guy started running at me and just turned his back to me. Now, he's still moving forward, but he's turned his back, so I can block him in the back. Okay. What you can't do is if a guy's running away from you, push him in the back. Mm -hmm. But in this case, because of the way he's turned, he's still trying to move towards the quarterback. I'm still in between my man and the quarterback, so I have the right to block that cylinder no matter where that's facing. We always talk about pass rushers as a cylinder, right? If you can imagine a cylinder standing there, no matter which direction he's facing, if I'm between the quarterback and him, I can put my hands on him and I have the right to block him no matter what surface is facing me. Now, is this a game, if, I don't know if you're going to remember this, but were you against him on every single snap or did they try to move him around? And, and how does that test a communication of a lineman in his first ever NFL game? So it's, it's always tricky when you're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers defense because a lot of times they'd put two defensive linemen in when, when we were in third down, when we were in our sub protection. So when we had their extra receiver in there, we were in three receivers, uh, a running back and a tight end, some iteration of that. They would a lot of times take out one of their interior defensive linemen. So now they just have two inside linemen and then those two outside linebackers. And they could line up anywhere. So for a young guy to not just see your basic vanilla four-down defense, which is what you usually saw in college, this was a big deal, right? Because yeah. those guys are all of a sudden showing up in places that you're not used to seeing. You've got uh, defensive linemen that are standing up. So it becomes an, a, a, a challenge of IDing who the pass rushers are and trying to get your hats that are blocking on the hats that are rushing. And that poses a big challenge, especially when you're on the road, because now the communication has to be with hand signals instead of using your mouth. In this game, we were lucky. We were at home, so we were able to talk through it. So when you're able to point and you're able to talk, it makes the communication and makes getting the linemen on the right guys much easier. And uh, in this game, in most of James's career, when it was base defense, when it was normal down and distance, he was going to line up over the left tackle. It was only when you started getting into those third downs or those sub protections where you saw where they would stand him up and he would kind of get mixed in there with some of the defensive linemen. And, and they got more creative a few years later, but in this game, as you can see, even when we were in some of those more spread out protections uh, or, or uh, formations, they, uh, 
were a little bit more vanilla with how they like to do it. They were one of the top defenses in the NFL this year and for several years here. They had really good personnel. And what they were really good at was filling a gap. They were really disciplined. They stuck to their rules. And this is really the old way of playing defensive in the uh, yeah. NFL, right? Put a man in every gap, get them, make them stout, be disciplined, rally to the football, right? Nowadays in the NFL, because offenses are so prolific, they're so good, you really have to take more risks on defense to stop an offense. So you see many more uh, risks being taken by defenses with blitzes, with overloads, with leaving gaps uh, completely un unmanned. And you have to take those risks nowadays to try to get those sacks, those turnovers, those TFLs in order to stop these drives by these prolific offenses. Now, now this is you projecting. How differently would James Harrison be used in today's NFL? James Harrison in his prime. We've seen James yeah. Harrison recently yeah. in the NFL, but how differently is he going to be used if this is him going up against, say, the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, I think you're going to see him being used a lot like the Steelers use T.J. Watt right now, mm -hmm. a lot like they use uh, uh, Bud Dupree where – they are going to put him over you as a left tackle. Me, on base down in distances, when we've got 21 personnel in there, when we've got our fullback in the game, when we've got a tight end in there, he's going to stand up over the tight end. He's going to jack the tight end up. He's going to be over the left tackle. But as soon as you get into those open formations in the shotgun, they're moving him all around. Because what they want to do is try to get him matched up on a running back. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers the last seven years. That is all they're trying to do, even beyond seven years, let's say. What they wanted to do, what Joey Porter always did so well, was they would find a way to scheme him up where a, a running back is trying to block right. him, and that's a mismatch every day <laughs> of the week. Any day that ends in Y, Joey Porter, James Harrison is going to beat a running back in protection. And that's why they've been so good and so so difficult, and that's why when you only put two defensive linemen in the game and you got a bunch of linebackers, it's so important to be able to identify who the rushers are. But it's hard because any of those guys can rush and any of those guys can drop. And when you look at the coverages, you look at where the safeties are, which is usually going to tell you kind of where the pressure is coming from. Those guys are balanced. And so the, the quarterbacks and the offensive linemen, we're not getting tells to pressures that the defenses are giving anymore like they used to because they're not afraid to leave a guy open anymore. They're, they're not afraid of of allowing a guy a free release off the line of scrimmage and having to run a safety from the opposite hash over to try to cover because those are the risks they have to take. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll focus on this as the last play, and this may not be the one you want to watch the most, but <laughs> this is a play where it goes probably a little too long, but oh, yeah. he ends up get, his motor kind of gets him all yeah. the way to the quarterback on the op, uh, basically on the opposite side of where the center is. Yeah, so this was one of the first dropback protections that we'll see here in the first half, and you can see that both Eric Steinbach and myself are taking a little bit of an aggressive set because it is what I would call a play action. It's kind of the token play action fake where you have the running back running like basically a, a ISO downhill draw fake. The quarterback's just given that token fake. The front side of the, the offensive line is, is being aggressive. The backside is turning with a little bit of a sort of angle set. It's not a full-on run action pass where we're faking the run. We're kind of just being a little bit more aggressive. So it's not a full-on uh, run fake, and but it's still a little bit of a fake. So we would call that a play action versus a run action. And what happens here is you see that everyone's blocked up really well. We've got some uh, help coming too. We got some help here. We got the line sliding to the left. So you've got four guys blocking three essentially. So the center, he's going to post the nose guard. Seth McKinney's going to come down. He's going to stay on. He's supposed to stay on that nose guard. He's not supposed to go help, <laughs> but he leaves a little bit early. But as you can see, once 
the, the guard comes down on the nose. Now it's a chain reaction between the center and the guard where everyone's going to go and help the man to his left as soon as your player is secured. But nobody's open. Charlie Fry holds on to the ball too long. He gets happy feet, doesn't know what he's going to do. And you can see the effort here from, I think that was Chris Hoke on the inside and uh, Brett Kiesel and James Harrison walks away with the sack. The people at home are complaining about the offensive line, not blocking anybody. And everybody else that watches this film says, Charlie Fry, you got to throw the football. But what are you thinking there when you stop? And did you think the play was over? So basically what, what happens as an offensive lineman is I block my guy as long as he is giving effort towards the quarterback. As soon as he kind of turns and runs down the field, we're assuming the ball has been thrown. So now we need to hustle down the field to get ready for the next play, to chase the ball in case there's a fumble, to see if you can get a block for whoever the ball carrier is. So at this point, I've got him stopped. Eric Steinbach comes over to help. James now is in Eric's gap. So now Eric is responsible for him. And you can see James kind of stops for a second. And Eric, in his head, <laughs> the clock goes off. So he says, okay, this play is over. And he kind of quits just a little bit before he should. And you can see Charlie Fry starts getting wrapped up. And James Harrison comes in and finishes him off with a uh, suplex tomahawk <laughs> slam. And I think Charlie Fry's ribs got smashed on this play. I mean, do you, when you look at in the moment and then in the film room afterward, are you feeling bad about that or is that something where you're like, that wasn't on me, that was just hitting, no. that guy making a great play and that play went too long? Yeah, I mean, you can't even really say the defense made a great play. I mean, Andrew Gribble out there at defense then <laughs> is going to get a sack when the quarterback hangs onto the ball this long. But uh, it's one of those classic moments in offensive line play where the coach says, hey, you got to block as long as the quarterback has the ball. It doesn't matter if they have it 15, 20 seconds. It's your job to keep blocking. So he would say, you know, good job blocking him early, but you got to keep blocking a little bit longer and you move on. And when you see him put a hit like that on a quarterback, is that, first off, that hit might be penalized in this, in this modern NFL. If he, That's a great with point. The, with the, That's with actually the body a penalty weight. today. But is that kind of the, the mindset that Harrison brought where if he has a clear shot at the quarterback that that guy's going to pay? Yeah, you can, you can tell. This is easily a 15-yard penalty in today's NFL. This wouldn't even be a question, right? Yeah. Because... He's going to tackle. He secures him. Now he lifts him off his feet and drives his shoulder and puts all of his weight on Charlie Fry's liver. And uh, you can tell that that one hurt. But in that case, from my perspective, when I got old and surly, I would think, that's what you deserve. you got to throw the football <laughs> or you're going to get hit like that. Now, you mentioned, I think you, you brought up a Miles Garrett comparison earlier with, with uh, James Harrison, but clearly different measurables with, with both those guys. Who in the NFL right now is the closest to, to James Harrison as prime? It's a good question because he kind of broke the mold for that position. Like we mentioned, it took him a long time to break into the league because nobody believed that's a player that's under six feet tall, that's not super fast, that's not super quick, and doesn't have a lot of pass rush moves, could survive as an outside linebacker. Especially in a scheme like this where they, they ask their outside linebackers to drop into coverage, to cover tight ends, to do all those things that an outside linebacker would have to in pass coverage besides just rushing the quarterback. So. I'm trying to think in today's NFL, I don't even think we've seen anybody during James Harrison's career or since yeah. that is anywhere near him. I mean, we've seen Elvis Doomerville was probably the closest guy to who James was as far as being a slower guy that's shorter, that's really strong, but extremely effective, tons of sacks, tons of ability to get to the quarterback. I would say those two guys were probably the most similar that the NFL's ever seen. I'll bring up one premature, obviously, because it's very early in his career. 
but with Cleveland Browns, maybe there's a guy here in Jannard Avery. Is there any parallels maybe between those two guys? I can see some definite parallels. I think Jannard actually is, is probably a better athlete than both of those guys. <laughs> he runs pretty well. He's got some good quickness, some good pass rush moves. Um, and we hope, as Browns fans, that he's going to continue to develop into that great pass rusher like James Harrison was, uh, like Elvis Doomerville was. And because can you imagine him and Miles Garrett out there yeah. in like three or four years just terrorizing quarterbacks? Yeah, and this was your first matchup with Harrison. Who got the better end of, of more of these? Yeah, I, honestly, the game was such a blur. It was crazy because how quickly we got down <laughs> and then how we benched our quarterback at halftime. I think we gave up six sacks. We lost by a bunch. And as a, as a rookie, just trying to keep your head above water, I think overall the reviews were pretty good, generally speaking, from what I can remember. Um, I felt that there was probably, if I can remember clearly, three or four plays that I wish I could have back. But for a rookie to only have a handful of mistakes that you wish you could do better on, I think overall it was probably a good success yeah. based on where the expectations were. Down the line, though, did he ever get the best of you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was definitely plays. And the hard part about being an offensive lineman is you're expected to be perfect 100% of the time. So in order for me to feel good about the game, I had to go out and play 65 out of 65 perfect plays. If I had one bad play, if I had two bad plays, I would sulk about it and I would have a hard time thinking about it um, for several days. I, I wouldn't sleep. You know? Whereas if you're a defensive lineman and you go out and you play 67 snaps and 65 of them you end up on your back, but you have two sacks, you're probably going to be the AFC North Player of the Week <laughs> because you had two sacks in the game. So it's, it's just a total different animal when you're playing offensive line versus defensive line. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Joe Thomas's Film Room. If you miss any of our episodes, you can find them at clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week as Joe dissects the Bears' Khalil Mack. For Joe Thomas, I'm Andrew Gribble. Thanks for listening.